All right, we're going to um, uh, park ourselves today um, on the parable of the persistent widow. That's in Luke chapter 18. But I have some preliminary comments to make about this before we begin this. Uh, <clears throat> and uh, this is another very interesting, insightful parable. I mean, the things that I've learned as I've studied for this series is uh, how great the Lord was in preparing these parables uh, on subjects that in many ways are arcane, subjects that are so difficult and may not be clear, and yet Jesus lays it out and uses some very negative stories to prove a positive point. Uh, and he's done that a number of times. He'll do it again here uh, about the uh, unjust judge in the parable of, of this persistent widow. Um, <clears throat> And so as we study this parable today on the uh, persistence in prayer and the unjust judge, one of the things that, that I've come to realize is that in this world, people believe that when they go to court, they're going to get justice. And all I can tell you is have, have, after having practiced law for about 50 years, almost never, almost never is justice dispensed in court. Sometimes totally by accident, totally by accident. And I would say to people, they would say to me, I want to go to court. I want my day in court. I want justice. And I would say to them, well, we'll go to court. But if you think that you're going to be guaranteed justice, you're sadly mistaken. And I'll just give you a, a, an example in my own life. One of the largest cases I ever tried was a case I did for General Motors. Uh, and <clears throat> that was 16 straight weeks it started in April, it ended in August. Every day from 8.30 in the morning till five o'clock at night. 16 straight weeks. Uh, and uh, it was an awful period of time for me because after three weeks, I knew I was going to lose uh, because the judge was biased. It's as simple as that. And he made no, no coverage of his bias. He made no coverage of his bias because he was a former Internal Revenue General Counsel, and he hated General Motors. He hated them. Uh, he was not a guy that looked fondly on big corporations, and that's typical of what you get with a lot of these people. He hated General Motors. And it was clear to me, and it was clear to General Motors, that this guy had made up his mind ahead of time. He wasn't going to listen to any evidence. Anything that we did was of no moment. Now, I want you to think what that's like, that you know this in three weeks and that you're going to continue to plow ahead week after week after week for 16 straight weeks, knowing that the guy who's going to hear the case has already rendered a decision, has no interest in, judge, in justice. And so... Uh, of course, I lost. And of course, I take the case up on appeal. And when I took the case up on appeal, the transcripts were nine and a half feet high. Nine and a half feet high. And so when you take these appeals, you, you go before a three-judge court of appeals, uh, and we had about 18 different grounds for uh, reversal. And those of you who've heard me preach can recognize that I, it's quite possible we had 18 grounds of reversal. But one of the biggest grounds was bias. 
and we cited 76 separate instances of bias. 76 separate instances of bias. Chapter, verse, chapter, verse. Now, I'm making this argument in front of this, chief, this panel of judges, and the chief judge says to me, Mr. Garippa, let me ask you one question at the end of a number of questions. Do you really want to do this all over again? And I gave her this answer. Yes. And that's exactly how I said it. You understand? Uh, and that's the essence of justice in America. Now, that we, I won. That case was reversed, and I won. It was a big decision. Uh, but uh, there's pain in going to court. You suffer with this. I actually had a heart attack after this case was over, and I was only 41 years old. Uh, and because it takes it out of your hide. You can't, you, know, you can't just slough these off. And I know there are lawyers here in this group that understand exactly what I'm talking about. And so this story here about a judge who couldn't care less about this lady rings true to me. I've been there. I've seen it. I know these kind of judges. They're out in the world. And Jesus is using this example to prove the point of what he wants to make is God is not like this. God loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to pray. And he pray even when the answer is not clear. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. And sometimes the answer is not yet. Not yet. And we have to come to terms with that. Uh, and so before uh, Jesus spoke about this parable, the, the uh, section immediately before it, if you have your Bibles, look to uh, Luke 17, uh, beginning at verse 20. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. Then he said to his disciples, the time is coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man, but you will not see it. Men will, men will tell you there he is, or here he is, do not go running on after them, for the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation, just as it was in the days of Noah. So also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the day of Lot. People were eating, drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but the day Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Whoever tries to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, two people will be in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding grain together. One will be taken and the other left. Where, Lord, they asked, where there is a dead body, there the vultures will gather. Now, he gave this, you see, he gave this message right before he tells the parable of the unjust judge. Meaning what? 
He's, in, he's setting up the predicate for us needing to be, we needing to be in prayer constantly. And the prayer is, Lord, when will you come back? When will you come back? And I have to tell you that as I get older, that prayer resonates ever more strongly in my life. And I hope it does for you. Lord, I wish the rapture would come today. I'm sick and tired of what I see in this world. I'm sick and tired of evil uh, being so prevalent in this world. I want Jesus to come back. And he's saying that's the prayer that you need to make. Uh, And I had a discussion with one of the brothers this morning about the fact that the Christians knew this verse. They were were, uh, up to speed on this. And so the uh, uh, historians tell us that a million Jews died uh, in the siege of Jerusalem in 70 AD. A million Jews, men, women, and children. But there's not much record of Christians being perished during that period of time. And I submit to you that there's a good argument to be made that the Christians saw the handwriting on the wall. They remember what Jesus said, that bad times would be coming. And so the Romans didn't come in secretly. They laid siege to Jerusalem. That was a siege that took a couple of years uh, and until the, uh, the whole place was dismantled. And so Jesus is warning us, warning us, be prayerful. Pray all the time. Pray, pray for my return. Uh, and so that's, that's the essence, that's the predicate for this particular parable that we're going to start. And so we need to have persistence in our prayer life. Persistence. Pray constantly. Uh, in James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Powerful and effective. You know, you never know uh, which prayers God is answering and which, which ones he's not. In fact, he's answering all of them. He's answering all your prayers. Sometimes he's answering them in a way that you don't realize is an answered prayer. Several years ago, I was in California when the hurricane was about to strike Naples. And I know some of you have heard me tell this story. I forget which hurricane it was, but it was one that was going to come dead on to Naples. Uh, Brother Bruno sent me a text message about an hour before saying it's going to hit Naples directly. And I remember that, and I was praying. And so my prayer to the Lord, here I am in California, Lord, please just let this hurricane go 20 miles outside of Naples. Just 20 miles out in the ocean, Father. You can do it. And we were praying, oh, God, do it, do it. Well, I learned later this hurricane struck Naples directly. And I learned later that if the hurricane had come 20 miles outside of Naples, that Naples would have been covered with five feet of water. So God, hearing the prayers of a stupid man, says, okay, John, I got your prayer. You're an idiot. And so I'm going to filter that prayer based on my sovereign knowledge. Does this sound like something that you can sign on with? That you don't even know sometimes what to pray for? You're praying, you're praying and you don't know. You don't know. Uh, And and I would say that that's replicated throughout our our Christian experience. Replicated. Uh, and, And I often think about that. Just 20 miles. Yeah, that's enough to wipe out Naples. That's perfect. 
That's perfect. Look also at Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Ask, this is Jesus, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Uh, and and uh, also Matthew 21, verse 22, you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. You believe you will receive what you ask for within the perfect will of God. Amen? You understand? Within the perfect sovereign will of God. Look, we pray always for healing, but sometimes it's not within the perfect sovereign will of God that there be healing. God has a broader perspective than we do. You understand that? We want to be walking within the perfect will of God. And so, yes, our prayers are not answered uh, often in a speedy way on our timetable uh, because God has a completely different timetable. Uh, and sometimes God delays answering prayers uh, because he's got a plan for your life. He wants to see you develop and get stronger and have better spiritual character. And so he wants you to persist in prayer, constantly persisting in prayer. That's what he has called us to do. Never losing faith, never growing faith, uh, faith staying strong. And so Luke 18 begins with a parable illustrating that very principle. Uh, it is the story of a woman who simply will not give up. She will not give up in front of this unjust judge. She's seeking justice every possible way, even though her case is trapped in a corrupt judicial system. Uh, and, and she is in front of the bench of a crooked, apathetic judge. Uh, and here Jesus is speaking to his closest disciples. So if you have your Bibles, look at Luke 18, verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time, he refused. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Great, isn't it? And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And this again bears out the fact of the short discourse that I gave you before about Jesus talking about what will he find when he comes back? Will people be involved in prayer? Are they praying for the return of, this, of the Lord? Uh, praying for the revealing of the Son of Man. 
and, and so here's the point. No matter how bleak the times in this world appear to be, uh, even as it seems to be barreling towards doom, how's that? Barreling towards doom and eternal judgment, righteous men and women must persist in prayer, must persist in prayer, uh, and they can be confident that God will hear and answer that prayer. And so every day as a part of your prayer life, you should say, Lord, please, we're ready for your return. We're ready for your return, Father. You come back because this world needs you. And I think that that's, this is an encouragement for believer, believers living in evil times. And I don't think you could have more evil times than, than we're living in. You know, here's the point. The world has always been evil. The world has always been evil, but we have never been in a position where we instantaneously know of the evil at the far corners of the world. See, that's what's different now. You know, we, we wouldn't have known uh, Hitler was executing six million Jews, and a lot of that was kept under wraps. No longer, no longer the acts of evil are exposed to the world through the media. And so we see it, and so we're under under this unction that we have to pray. We must not lose heart. We cannot be discouraged. Uh, and, and this event that I'm describing in this parable would likely be all too familiar to these folks in the first century. They knew all about corrupt judges. They knew all about unjust judges. And widows and corrupt judges were familiar characteristics of this culture. Widows and corrupt judges. Now, justice was often nearly impossible to come by during the first century. Uh, the highest religion, religious court in Israel was the Sanhedrin. That was 71 rabbis. Their power was oppressive and unjust, and you know that they judged Jesus uh, guilty uh, and sent him to die on the cross. Now, beyond that, there were 23 judges in every city uh, in Israel. They also were given to perfunctory rulings uh, prior to very hasty judgments and caring little about justice. Now, Rome had also appointed local magistrates uh, and village judges. So you see there's, a, there's kind of like a, a hierarchy here that's going on. And they were the worst of all, uh, these Roman-appointed magistrates. They lacked morals. They lacked scruples. Uh, these were not religious people at all, and the Jews generally regarded them with disdain. Most probably, it was one of those judges that's the key in this particular parable. Because here you see a judge who says, I don't care about God. I don't care about what people say about me. I mean, this guy was, was clearly uh, on his own planet. Uh, and I, you know, I do not fear God, nor do I regard man. Uh, this was someone who showed no reverence at all for God. Uh, he was unmoved by compassion or understanding in any way. He freely acknowledged that he did not fear God. Uh, and Jesus referred to him as an unjust judge. Um, and so this man was totally disregarding his duties uh, to dispense justice. Yet this parable is told by Jesus to give us a positive lesson as to what our responsibility is in prayer. And so Jesus is using this, frankly, as a juxtaposition to prove a positive point, that if somebody evil uh, and dispassionate 
couldn't couldn't care less about justice, but because this woman continually came to him day after day after day, how much more does your heavenly father care about you as you come to him day after day after day? Not giving up, persisting, continue to pray. Uh, And so this is supposed to teach us a positive lesson about how we approach God and how he answers our prayers. And I think this is a key lesson for us. Now, the other character in in this parable is this poor widow. And she was the victim of some injustices. Uh, Someone had clearly defrauded her. She was destitute and alone. uh, And uh, Jesus built this illustration around the widow because the Old Testament made it very clear that the case should have been clear-cut. The Old Testament made it very clear that you had to regard widows highly. You had to protect the rights of widows. Uh, Moses' law was explicit on this point. Exodus chapter 22, verse 22, said the following, Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows, and your children fatherless. God doesn't fool around. Uh, And you see how how God regards uh, your palpably cold view of widows. The law was full of similar provisions for widows. So if a widow came before a court, The judge should have been bent over backwards in order to give this woman justice. Widows were to be cared for, uh, and and legal authorities had a particular duty to see that they were, in fact, cared for. Now, apparently, this woman had a solid case on legal grounds alone. She was not pleading for any special dispensation. All she wanted was what justice she should get. She was also relentless, and that's the word to underline. She was relentless uh, in her pleas. She kept coming back to the unjust judge day after day. She had nothing left to lose. This was the only alternative she had. Uh, And even though his initial response was cold, uncaring, dispassionate, Uh, He simply dismissed her case. His utter lack of concern is totally shocking to us. And Jesus wants you to be shocked because he's making the point from the negative to the positive. Uh, And here we see Jesus' amazing skill, really, at painting pictures with a minimum of words. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of preachers that could learn from Jesus, you know? Really. Really. I laugh when I see some guys have to preach 45 minutes in order to make a point when Jesus does it in about eight sentences. I mean, really, how much, how much more can we learn from Christ, not just even uh, in what he says, but how he says it? Um, and so in his rebellion here, in his rebellion, this judge is breathtakingly diabolical breathtakingly diabolical. The judge simply brushed this woman aside as if she didn't exist, as if she were a troublesome gnat, right? Uh, And this went on for a while because this woman kept coming back and he would not relent. But suddenly he has a change of heart. Suddenly. 
not because he repented, not because he's convicted, uh, but because he got weary of hearing from her. He got weary. He was sick and tired of her constant besieging of him uh, with requests for judges. And so he speaks to himself. Uh, And I love this in Luke 18, verse 4. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, (laughs) Jesus is writing this, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because the widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Now, come on, man. It's a widow. Seriously. You're worried about this widow attacking you? Really. Uh, But you can see how somebody who is just totally out of it finally has an awareness uh, of what his duty is. And so he still had no regard for God. He didn't regard God. He was looking out for his own self-interest. My own self-interest, which is what? I don't want to get hurt. I don't want to be attacked. He needed to get rid of her. So he finally ruled in her favor. However, the point of the parable is clearly stated at the start. It is to show that at all times we ought to pray and not lose heart. That's the point of this. Never lose heart. Continue to pray even when the answers are not coming. Why? Because God loves you. He cares for you. He nurtures you. He died on the cross for you. He holds you in his hand. What makes you think that God, who is the most just creator in the universe, would not care about what you need? He knows what you need. He knows what issues you have. And so continue to pray because it's obviously it's something he wants you to do. He wants you to pray persistently every day. Pray because he's making something of you through your prayer life. You're building character. You're building a a spiritual character that will be on evidence to the rest of the world. Now, this parable follows immediately after Jesus is talking about his return and the battle that will be called Armageddon uh, in the last days. Uh, The point that Jesus is making here is that while his disciples await his return, and even as the world devolves uh, into utter chaos, he wants us to keep praying, even during those difficult times. Keep praying. Never stop praying. And do not lose heart. The gist of the exhortation is uh, summarized in the words of Luke 21, verse 36, where it says, Be always on the watch and pray that you may all able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Let me read that again. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. And that's, that's our responsibility. So God, of course, is nothing like the unjust judge. The argument Jesus is making here uh, very effectively is from the lesser to the greater. The lesser, the unjust judge, the greater, the sovereign, loving God. 
Uh, if such a depraved and wicked magistrate can be coaxed by sheer perseverance alone to grant justice to a widow for whom he has no regard whatsoever, nothing whatsoever, then how much more will God avenge his elect? How much more will God love us and care for us and give you what you need uh, and, and will avenge us speedily and protect us speedily? Look, there's a reason why when the rapture comes, the church will be taken out bodily from this world. You understand that? The church will be taken out. Every person who has given his heart to God at the moment of the rapture instantaneously will be sucked out of this world because the days of tribulation will come and they will be ugly. They will be dark uh, as you see the forces of evil rise up uh, and take over this world. But you have to say you're, you're with Jesus. You're with God. And God is not going to let you be suffering. He's not going to do that for you. He'll take care of you. And so we understand that. The elect will be saved. Uh, and and th this is an important thing for us to, to know and to trust God for. This is what we pray for. Even as we ask him, Lord, to come back. Lord, we're ready for your return. That prayer means I'm ready for your return and I'm ready to go with you. I'm ready to go with you. This world is despicable. And it gets worse. How can you turn on the news and watch Ukraine and not be sickened? Somebody said to me in church, well, I just don't watch it anymore. No, no, you should watch it. You should see evil, the face of evil, because God wants you to see the face of evil. That's what we're praying against. That's what we're praying for. God, intervene against the face of evil in such a powerful way. And so God will not shorten the time of his return until every one of his elect is saved. Until everyone in this world who God wants to give the opportunity of salvation for uh, is saved. Uh, and, and here is further proof that the parable of the unjust judge, <coughs> again, pertains to the second coming. It's another, another reason for that. Jesus is urging us to pray faithfully and persistently for that day. He's telling you, pray for that day. Uh, the end of Luke 18, verse 8 is the key. And there it says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he find his people persevering in prayer and expectation? Or will many lose heart? The parable is meant as an encouragement to hold fast and keep praying. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. Hold fast and keep praying. Stay strong in your prayer life. Don't abandon your prayer life. Continue to seek the throne of God. Continue to ask him in every way. That's why we start with a prayer in everything that we do. We start with a prayer here because we know that there are people that have significant prayer requests. And we ask God to descend on the room and to touch the words that we hear with the Holy Spirit. Look, this is not about a guy getting up and making a speech. This is not about a guy reading some verses uh, that were written 2,000 years ago. This is about God speaking us to, to us today through the Holy Spirit. He's here in this room. We prayed for him to be here. And I know God is in this room. His spirit is in this room. And he's anointing the words that you hear. And as I said in church yesterday, here's the proof. Because when you hear the words that I speak, if they're anointed, 
by God through the Holy Spirit, then this is what you should be getting in your heart. Yes. Amen. Yes. Amen. That's the proof that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. But instead, if I get up here and just read up some verses and give a speech, it should fall dead on the ground. Those words have no impact whatsoever because those are the words of a man. And we're not interested in the words of a man. We're interested in the words of God. And so here as we, we study this, the widow in this parable represents all true Christians. This is what Christianity is about. Uh, we are all poor in spirit. And you understand that uh, from the Beatitudes, the very first, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit uh, the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We're all poor in spirit. We all have needs. We all suffer from our inadequacies of you as human beings. We've all come to understand that by becoming Christians. We've asked God to take over our lives, and so we know that. Without God, we're empty. We're absolutely empty uh, in every possible way. And so this is who we are. And now the question is, does God subvert justice? Of course not. God doesn't subvert justice. God is justice in every possible way. Uh, see the words of Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, and, and these are the martyrs that have died and are in heaven. And look at what they say here. Revelation 6, verse 10. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you, judge, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How long, Father, before we will be avenged as they died and were in heaven? You see, and of course, we know that God does avenge. Because here's the thing. When he comes back the second time, there's going to be uh, a vast army behind him, and we will all be in that army as he will precede us on a white horse, and that's what the Scripture says, and I believe it. And as he proceeds, the Bible tells us, out of his mouth he will utter a word, a word, and the word will be a sword, and with that word, all of the evil doers of this world will be struck down instantaneously struck down instantaneously. You could take this to the bank. The Bible tells you. The Bible promises you. That's how this thing ends. That's how this, this world ends. Oh, Lord, what a powerful statement that is. It is impossible to live the Christian life faithfully unless we have the light of the second coming as well. Knowing that story ends gives us confidence in our prayer life uh, and stability in our Christian walk in every possible way. As Paul says in Scripture, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding to the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Look, your labor, your life, your Christian walk is not in vain. God sees it. He's put you here for a reason. You're advancing the kingdom of God. And I want to encourage all of you in dark times, and these are dark times, to keep praying. Uh, even, when you, even when it seems as if God doesn't hear, he hears. He hears. And remember, some of the things you're asking for, he doesn't want to give you because of, you'll think of the stupid prayer of John Garippa. 
and he knows better than we know, okay? Even as we're praying for dumb things, God knows. That's why at the end of my prayer, I always add, in your will. In your will. Because I want to be in your will, Lord. Not my will. I want to be in your will in every possible way, even as I pray for these things, Father. If it's not within your will, don't give it to me. If I'm asking for something that's beyond your will, don't give it to me. But in your will, Father, to the extent that it is within your will, Lord, you answer these prayers. And so Jesus' question in Luke 18, verse 8, ought to provoke us to self-reflection. I mean, that's what this parable is about, self-reflection. Uh, and Jesus said, uh, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? Will he find faith in this earth? Will he find faith with you when he comes back? Will he find you still on your knees praying to him, waiting for his return? Are we fitfully praying for his return? Are we praying every day of our life? I suspect that if he were to come today, there would be multitudes of Christians who would be totally unprepared for him to come back, shocked that he would be coming back, uh, and frankly, too enthralled with the things of this world. Too enthralled. Oh, God, no, no, I just moved to Naples. Oh, I love it here. Oh, I love the weather. I love the traffic. It's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. You see, you get in love with the world, and you forget the fact that you should be in love with God. You shouldn't be in love with Christ. I, I wish he came right now. I couldn't think of a better thing I'd rather be doing than he walked in the door, and I'm up here preaching. Come on up, Jesus. We've been waiting a long time. Amen? Isn't that really what it's about? That's the nature of why we serve him and walk with him and pray to him. Because we all are longing for that day. Look, we're not going to be enthralled with the things of this world. We're not going to be falling in love with everything around us. We fall in love with Christ. We fall in love with Christ. Uh, and that's how we are today. And so 2,000 years later, from the day that Jesus gave this parable, I hope that our hope burns still as bright as ever. As bright as ever that we continue to wait day after day for his return because he is the just judge. He hears you. He loves you. He cares for you. Yes, the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is not yet. Wait. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for the, the lesson that you've given us this character, this unjust judge, Lord, we are just so moved by the fact that even someone who is so perverse, so amoral, uh, when given the persistence of a godly woman, bows and gives her justice. And yet we know, Lord, that you gave us this example to juxtapose it with you because you love us and care for us and nurture us and created us. And so as we know that you did this, that you care for every part of our bodies and every aspect of our need. And so, Lord, 
we bow before you and we promise to continue to persist in prayer every day of our lives and pray for your return so that when you do come back, we will be ready and you will see that we are ready. Lord, protect our people. Bless them this week. Bring them back next week to continue the study of your word as we put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you all. God bless you.